0: If you happen to ever be on the internet, you might have noticed that you'll get these like clickbaits for life hacks. They're really popular now. Like all these ways to do life easier, right? Here's the easy way. Here's the simple way. Here's the shortcut, right? Here's how to get what you want without actually trying. So I was looking at some of them this week and I cut out a few that I really liked, so Here's life hack number one, if you lose your keys. So brilliant. I'm thinking about getting one just for that reason. Like that is amazing. Here's another one. If you stir coconut oil into your kale, it makes it easier to scrape into the trash. That's really good. I'm all over that one. Here's one if you're rushed in the morning, right? You don't have time for toast, breakfast, and brushing your teeth. Man, just, there you go, two for one. I tried it this morning. If you talk to me after service, tell me how it worked. But here is my favorite one. My wife and I are sitting on the couch watching TV, and I hear a text, realizing I left my phone in the kitchen. I get up, go to the kitchen to check it. It's a text from my wife. Please bring the chips on your way back. Genius! Wow! Uh-huh. That's pretty good. I think the wife put the phone in the kitchen. We're all looking for shortcuts. We're all looking for the easy way. We want to go down here all not uphill. That's okay if it's about trying to find out where your keys are at or getting your spouse to get the chips. But shortcuts often lead to long delays. And if you've lived any life, you know that. That you can't do hard things without taking the right steps to get there. No one's doing calculus unless you've done addition and subtraction, And right? No one's building a house unless you've done the hard work to dig a foundation. That, Success is built over time, not overnight. And there's just hard things you gotta do. So we're in Colossians right now, I'm calling it essential Jesus for unsettled days because I kinda think that's where we're at. And what we're gonna see here is Paul's gonna take us back to basics. And he starts his letter with two of the most basic fundamental things that are supposed to define a believer, like breathing and like your heartbeat. These are fundamentals. You can't get where you wanna go without these two. And if you've been at church for any time, you've heard sermons on them because they're that basic. The two he begins with, thanksgiving and prayer, heartbeat and breathing. We're gonna do thanks this morning. Colossians chapter one, verse three. We always thank God, the Father of our Lord Jesus Christ, when we pray for you. Since we heard of your faith in Christ Jesus and of the love that you have for all the saints, because of the hope laid up for you in heaven, of this you have heard before in the word of truth, the gospel Thanks, we're going to look at who we give thanks to, why we give thanks to him and how to give thanks and then Paul's thanksgiving list. First, who do we thank? We thank God, the father. Not the God father, God, the father. Here's a mistake we often make when we think about God as father we pretty much copy and paste our own father onto God. And that becomes like the basics of our theology. And that can be a problem because some of us grew up with no dad or a bad dad or a broken dad or an absent dad or a passive dad. And then we anthropomorphize God as our dads, but he's not. And even if you had a really good dad, which is awesome, He's still not the heavenly father. And every dad, no matter how good they are, the relationship between dad and son, especially, it's usually a performance, right? Like we want our kids to do better than us so we have these high expectations for them and we push them, right? Like even, there's no dad that I know that is proud that their son is smoking pot. Even if they do it, they still don't want their kid doing it. There's no dad that I know that is happy that their son got straight Fs. Well, at least he's consistent. That's one thing, right? No, because there's this thing about dads where we want better for our children. And so what happens is we then make God like our dad. And is our heavenly father disappointed in us? Is he angry with us? Is he gonna fire us? Will God grow tired of me? right? Here's what you find when you read the Bible. God has this beautiful balance of two qualities that every person needs, right? I'll try to give them both to you. First, with a story, read the prodigal son. If you want to know how God views you and me, read the story in Luke 15, the prodigal son. I'll give it to you real quick. A dad has two boys. The younger of the two boys says, dad, I wish you were dead because all I want is your money. So dad says, fine, I'll write you a check. Writes him a check for half the inheritance. That son, the younger son takes that money and goes partying because a fool and his money are soon partying. So he parties, he blows it all, goes broke. The economy in that land crashes, famine hits. He can't find a job. He ends up feeding pigs and eating pig slop. That's how poor he gets. And then one day he's in the pig pen he remembers his father's house. And he says, servants in my father's house have it better than me. I'm gonna return home. I'm gonna go home. I'm gonna say, dad, I messed up. I wanna come live with you. I'll help out. I'll mow the lawn or something. Sounds strangely modern, doesn't it? Sociologists call it adolescence. That definition is a young man wakes up, decides I hate my job, I'm going home. Adolescence. So he comes home, smelling like pig, wasted half of his dad's money. He comes home. Dad sees him and rushes out to him. And what does the dad do? Punches him in the face? Lectures him about how bad he's been? Just ignores him? Speak to the hand? No, the son starts in with his whole thing he wanted to tell his dad. Dad, I blew it. And the, son, the dad just, no. Wraps him up in an embrace. Smelling like pig and everything. Gives him a brand new robe. Gives him the signet ring, the ring that he could sign documents. Full-fledged family member. Puts shoes on his feet. Servants didn't wear shoes. Shoes on his feet. And throws a massive party. My son who was lost has come home. That story illustrates for you and me, God's acceptance of us. Not like normal dads, different, better. But God's not a passive God that lets his kids get away with stuff. This is the other side, the balance of our heavenly father. Read Hebrews chapter 12, where God is a vigilant coach that pushes and disciplines his kids because he wants the most out of them. Puts us in situations to sharpen and to grow us, not for his own selfish goals, but actually the Bible says they're for you and me. It's Great acceptance, absolute acceptance, but then God has this achievement he wants for all of us. It's brilliant. Here's how I put it in my own head. Every morning God speaks to you and me as his kids and he says this, good job, now let's go. And we need that, that's the perfect balance. You're accepted, you're in, you're part of my family, good job, now let's go. I've got great things for you this day. Who do we pray to? Our Heavenly Father, who's balanced and right. Why do we pray, or why do we, excuse me, who do we give thanks to? Our Heavenly Father. Why do we give thanks to him? James 1.17 puts it like this. I'll read it for you. Every, how many? Every good gift and every perfect gift is from above coming down from the father of lights with whom there is no variation or shadow due to change. I have a simple saying, if it's good, it's from God. He is the source of everything that is good, perfect, light, life, love, no hint. Like James just adds in there, there's not a hint, not a shadow of variation. There's no darkness in him at all. Every good gift comes from God. And I think James adds that little, listen, if it's shadowy, if it's dark, it's not from God. Because we have the tendency, don't we, when things get hard and difficult, to shake our fists at God and say, why? Read Job. Read Psalm 88. Those are guys shaking their fists saying, why? I don't think a month goes by, probably two or three times a month. I sit and have conversations with people that have that right there. Why is this happening to me? Why is this difficulty? Why is this evil come to me? And what I do with people in that situation, I'm gonna do with you right now. I say, let's go through them. What is the source of bad things? What's the source of evil, right? There's all kinds of different evil. Cancer, call that physical evil. Is cancer from God? Did God figure out how to design cancer and give it to people to kill them? Is that what God did? Was there in the garden of Eden cancer when there was no death, when God created over and over and said, it's good, it's good, it's good, it's good, it's very good. Because cancer is none of those things. No, cancer came because of the fallenness of creation, that something happened when human sinned, we fractured the world, we fractured our bodies. DNA doesn't replicate the way it used to. Now there's errors in it and cancer, okay? Not from God, from the fallenness of the world. Cancer can come from my own personal decisions too, can't they? If I make the decision to smoke a pack of cigarettes every single day, well, you know what? I'm probably giving cancer an advantage. If I sit around and eat ice cream all day watching Netflix, probably giving cancer an advantage. But the source, not God, not God. How about number two? When we get persecuted, when we name the name of Jesus and bad things happen to us. You can call this religious or spiritual evil. Is that God getting us? Right, we're defending, not graceless and harshly and weirdly, defending kindly, truthfully, the name of Jesus and the gospel. And we get persecuted for that. Is that God getting us? No way, right? The Bible says this, that we wrestle not against flesh and blood, but against principalities and powers and spiritual wickedness in high places that there's a clash of kingdom that happens all the time. Peter puts it like this, the fiery darts of the enemy. Peter says that the devil is like a roaring lion seeking who he may devour. That's where it's from, it's from a clash of kingdoms. And we're in the middle of it, no doubt. And casualties happen in war and people get hurt in war, but not God persecuting us. Now God does want us in the midst of persecution to stand up firmly the name of Jesus Christ, no doubt, but it's not from him. How about the third kind of evil? Rape, it's called moral evil. Does God cause rape? Because he makes laws against it, right? Read the Old Testament. There's laws against rape. So obviously, no. So what is a moral evil? God has given to humans from the beginning the ability to choose. And rape is a morally significant decision that an individual makes to corrupt and damage another image bearer of God. And God hates it. God hates it, not from God, no doubt. So you read this and you come down, you realize, no, there's no shadow. Every good, every perfect gift is from God. Well, Matt, it just doesn't sound that good to me. Here's the good news in the midst of evil. I put it like this, God works the night shift. God works the night shift. If you read the Bible, and I recommend it, from Genesis 3 to Revelation 19, what you see is humans behaving badly. And in the midst of humans behaving badly, what you see is God limits, frustrates Works in the midst of evil to bring about good. It's Genesis 50, 20. What you meant for evil, God has turned to good, to the saving of many lives. And I can give you account after account after account of God doing that work in the midst of evil. Jesus, God in the flesh, comes and he doesn't treat evil like uh, something that's designed into the system. He treats evil as something that needs to be kicked out of the kingdom. That's why he heals people from diseases. It's why he cures people of cancer and resurrects people from death and then casts out demons from people doing war against that clash of kingdoms. And here's the best news about evil. On the cross, Jesus Christ dealt the death blow to evil. That evil now has a terminal disease called redemption. And the end of the Bible is this, Jesus takes everything that is evil, physical, spiritual, moral evil, he wraps it up and he throws it away in this place called the lake of fire, where it's gone forever. Happy day that will be. Why doesn't he do it now? I'm looking around, I see all this evil and all this sin and all this brokenness. Why doesn't he do it now? If he did it now, what would happen to you and me? Because there's a little bit still left in me, right? So the Bible says this, he is patient, not willing that any should perish, but all should come to salvation. So God waits to give everyone opportunity to not be part of that casting out, but to be part of his family. So who do we thank? The heavenly father. Why do we thank him? Because every good and every perfect gift comes from him. Brilliant. So how do we thank him? In the Bible, it says, in everything, give thanks. What does that mean? Do I mean, I give thanks for my bleeding athlete's foot? Seems weird. Give thanks for cancer? Or my dog died? Or my house burned to the ground? No, that's giving thanks for everything. The Bible says, give thanks in everything because your heavenly father works the night shift that you realize he can take even hard things, difficult things, even evil things that he did not cause and work them for occasions of his grace. So I'll give him thanks in this situation. The best example I have is a 300 year old theologian called Matthew Henry. And if you have a library, you're probably of theological books, you've got Matthew Henry's commentaries on the Bible. He's that big. And one day Matthew Henry was robbed He went home that night and he journaled these three things. He said, number one, thank you, God, that this was the first time I was robbed. Number two, thank you, God, that the robber took my wallet and not my life. And number three, thank you that I was robbed and not the robber, brilliant. That's how you do it, give thanks to your heavenly father because every perfect gift comes from him and you know he works the night shift. Do you know the payoff to Thanksgiving? So Wednesday night before Thanksgiving, I said, we have all these like miracle cures, snake oils, right? Ashwagandha root or whatever it is, like you have all these things that you take this because it gives you all these benefits. And I put this list up right here. What gives you this list been proven to boost your immune system, increase your energy, make you smarter, decrease stress, decrease headaches, make you happier, make you more helpful, decrease anxiety, be less angry, decrease blood pressure, increase heart health, get more motivation, less depression, increase optimism, less resentful, more empathy. Did I say decrease depression? You know what does this? gratitude. That's the payoff. That's an amazing list, scientifically proven now. When you have attitudes of gratitude, that's what happens. Listen, you won't get a better deal than this. Be grateful. Learn how to give thanks. I think every single Christian should have a daily discipline like breathing and like their heartbeat where they wake up and they either pray a list or make a list of what they're thankful for because you'll get that. And we get Paul's list. Paul gives us a list, five things he's thankful for. Number one, he says, I'm thankful for your faith in Christ Jesus. This was a church of faith. Now I know right now it's really popular to say, I'm a person of faith. Have you heard people say that? I always ask in what? In Thor? in Ganesh, in the government, faith in what, right? It's silly. The other one is, I am a spiritual person. Have you heard people say that? I say, so is Satan. Are you sure you wanna be on his team? Because he's a spiritual person, right? It's meaningless. So we have all this kind of chaos right now happening inside of the church. Like, what do these things mean? So um, I was reading this week, and uh, there's this new movement and they're atheists that want church. So they call them Sunday Assemblies, it's atheist church. So here's the article, uh, Church Without God, how secular congregations fill a need for some non-religious Americans. So I read the whole article and I just cut a little excerpt I wanna read to you. So they said, this is what they do, one example, is collective singing. They like that part. Borrowing a familiar aspect of religious services that can give members a sense of transcendence. Most Sunday assembly chapters have a church band that leads sing-alongs to pop songs like Living on a Prayer. You're an atheist. Wait a second. You can't live on a prayer. (laughs) By Bon Jovi and Brave by Sarah Bareilles. When the astronomer talked to the Sunday assembly about NASA's mission to Pluto, that was the sermon. You think, I'm spacey, that spacey. The congregation sang across the universe and Lucy in the sky with diamonds. Isn't that LSD? There you have it. By the Beatles to reinforce their reverence for the vastness of the universe. I have a suggestion for a song they could sing. It's by ACDC. It's called Highway to Hell. Just a suggestion. I don't know. So there's this, hey, I'm a person of faith. Hey, I'm a spiritual person. Okay. And what? The sad thing is churches are beginning to lose their footing. Because right after that article, the next one was this article. Happened right up in Eugene. So candlelight could show you incredible things at this enchanting tribute to Taylor Swift. Mmm. Discover what happens when some of, wait a second, discover what happens when some of T. Swizzles, did you know that's her name? I don't know. T. Swizzles' greatest hits meets the classic form in Eugene and you can get your tickets here. So then I read about it. This is what I read. From her earlier country pop hits, to her more recent synth-pop releases, Miss Americana, continues to demonstrate a remarkable ability to reinvent her sound. And in the spirit of reinvention, the Candlelight series is putting a classical twist on the famous singer-songwriter's classic at the First Christian Church of Eugene. Don't miss out on this one-of-a-kind Candlelight concert celebrating the one, the only... Jesus Christ, Taylor Swift. Now I say this all to mock this church, but I know a few of you are like right now on your phones getting tickets for it. I see you. (laughs) Faith in what? I'm thankful for your faith in Christ Jesus, period. That's the faith that matters. No other faith matters. Being a person of faith, being a spiritual person, yeah, big whoop. Faith in Christ Jesus. Are you thankful for your faith in Christ Jesus? That you have been saved, that you are a brother, a sister in the family of faith of your heavenly father, that your eternity is secure that your heart has been changed from one of stone into a heart that can feel, that you are more than an overcomer, that you now become an agent of good in our world, that you're a ambassador of a coming kingdom. Like Pinocchio, you and I become real girls and boys. Man, I'm so thankful for my faith in Christ Jesus that I'm saved. Man, I don't know if I'm saved. What's the second thing Paul's thankful for? Your faith in Christ Jesus and of your love that you have for all the saints. What's the number one marker that lets the world know that we are disciples of Jesus Christ? Our bumper stickers, our cross necklaces, our t-shirts, no, By this shall all men know you are my disciples by your love one for another, because it's not normal. And I'm guessing most of us want love. We want to love people and we want to have people love us. I doubt there are psychopaths in here that want hate and animosity and stress and anger and violence, right? But it's radical because what Paul says is this, your love for all the saints. Do you love every person in this room? Do you love every person that names the name of Christ? Or is there somebody that gets you? They annoy you, they gossiped about you. You had a business deal with them, it went south, right? I'm guessing most of us have a Christian brother or sister that we don't like, we don't love them. Like the only way that this is possible, that you and I can have a love for all the saints, the only way is by the power of the Holy Spirit. That's the only way, because this is unnatural. The Bible says the fruit of the Spirit is love. It's the only way. And if there's somebody that gets you right now, that when you think about them, your blood pressure goes up, that they keep you up at night as you're just kind of thinking about, oh, what they did to you. That when you're driving your car and you got a little bit of free time, man, they, inve- they get free rent in your head all the time. If you have a person like that, can I challenge you to do something? For one month, 30 days, every morning you wake up and you pray, Jesus, by the power of your spirit, help me to love this person in word and in deed. Show me ways today that I can walk out love for that person. Try that for a month. I dare you. I dare you to get rid of that person getting free rent in your head because watch and see Jesus change your heart and you have love for all the saints. He's thankful for their faith, for their love and their hope. The big three. Because of the hope laid up for you, in heaven. Faith, love, hope. What are you hopeful for in 2024? What do you hope happens? A rich, lost great uncle dies and leaves you a couple million? I just Googled this on Thursday. Like what, what are the big hopes that Americans have right now for 2024? Here's what they are. Here's what the polls say. People are hopeful for to be healthier, to be stronger, to eat better, to have more family time, to have less time on their phone, less time on social media, less time watching television, and they're hopeful for a change in our government. Those are the big hopes. What are you hopeful for? Paul says, man, I'm thankful for your hope of heaven. Does that mean the hope that one day we get out of here, that we leave this place behind, let it go to H E L L in a handbasket? Is that the hope that Paul is talking about? No. Because if you read the Bible carefully, we don't go to heaven. Heaven comes to us. Read the book of Revelation. Heaven invades earth. That's the hope. It's why Jesus prays this Thy kingdom come, thy will be done on earth as it is everywhere else. Like earth is the one bad spot in the universe. That's what the Bible says. Read C.S. Lewis's Space Trilogy. That's what he makes real apparent. We're the one anomaly. We're the one black spot in the heavens. Jesus's prayer was let heaven invade earth because it's coming, Revelation 21 and 22. The hope of heaven is real simple. It's saying, let it happen today. It's the prayer that Jesus in my heart, in my home, in my neighborhood, in Grants Pass, in Southern Oregon, have heaven invade. Help me to be an outpost right now of the coming kingdom. Jesus, you come, you return through me, through the way that I work, through the way that I live, that I'm an outpost of eternity for people to look at a signpost because it's the only hope we have. The only hope things get better here is for Jesus to invade. The only hope for people to get healed and saved and the lost to come out of their lostness from the parks and wherever they're at is because of Jesus. And so we pray, man, our hope of heaven, your kingdom come and your will be done on earth as it is in heaven and begin with me right now. That's the hope of heaven and it's powerful. Thankful for faith and love and hope and fruit. He calls it the good news, the gospel, which has come to you, as indeed the whole world. It's bearing fruit and increasing, as it also does among you since the day you heard it and understood the grace of God in truth. Gospel increasing fruit. Now, what's that? Increasing, real easy. What's the gospel? The gospel is good, true, news. It's all three of those. You can get news that's true, but not good. Do you know that? Right? The IRS called. They want your money. True, not good. The dentist can come. Yeah, we took an x-ray. You're gonna need a root canal because you stopped flossing and it started rotten. True, not good. This is a good, true news that God, the son came in the flesh, lived the life that I should have lived, died the death that I deserve to purchase for me eternal life. That's the good news. That Jesus crushed every enemy that could come against me. That greater is he that's within me now than he that's in the world. And I don't need to fear anything in this world. That right now I have been adopted into Jesus's family and he is not gonna let go of me. He has me firmly until he returns to take me home. That right now Jesus is ruling and reigning on the throne of eternity. That's the good news, okay? Now what's the fruit of that good news? other people believing it. It's realizing I found Treasure Island. I need to tell people about Treasure Island. Twice it says, you heard, you heard, you heard. There's this modern idea that we don't need to tell people about Jesus. We just live a certain way and then they'll see how we live and just somehow magically they'll come to Jesus. Right? It's ridiculous. You gotta proclaim, preach the good news. The idea that somehow if we're nice enough or we don't do certain things or we do do certain things, people just magically come to Jesus. Like you go to a restaurant after church today and you're nice to the waiter and you eat a whole pizza without ordering a beer and the people next to you just come over and say, unbelievable, you were nice and you ate a whole pizza without beer, tell me about Jesus. Has that ever happened to anybody? Please let me know because I have not seen that happen. You gotta proclaim Jesus. You take every opportunity, in kindness and grace, to speak the truth of Jesus Christ. My hope in 2024 is lives get saved. My hope in 2024 is that the parks don't have homeless people in them because they get saved and their lives get redeemed by Jesus Christ. That's my hope. It's the only hope that's going to help us. Fruit, ever increasing gospel fruit. And then lastly, he's thankful for this man named. Epaphras. He's thankful for people. You've learned from Epaphras, our beloved fellow servant. He is a faithful minister of Christ on your behalf. His full name, it's found in other epistles, is Epaphroditus. His name literally means honored of Aphrodite. Do guys know who Aphrodite is? Yeah, she's the goddess of sex. So mom and dad, when Epaphras is born, is like, what should we name him? Honored of the goddess of sex. What does that mean about his parents? They were nut jobs, right? They're the crazy parents. He grew up pagan, had a crazy testimony. The gospel comes to Epaphras. He believes in it, becomes a pastor and plants a church. How good is that? I love that there are Epaphrases in Edgewater Christian Fellowship. Crazy parents, crazy life, crazy testimony, and the power of Jesus Christ grabbed a hold of them and transformed their lives. Brilliant. And this is what Paul says about him he's a faithful minister. He's faithful. Colossae has been called the least important church in the New Testament. Probably 30 or 40 people at the best tiny little church in a declining, no nothing city started by a guy that no one knows about. What a radical, crazy testimony, right? How good is that? The reason why we have Colossae is because of one guy not giving up on these 30 or 40 people named Epaphras. He is faithful. He will not give up. That in heaven, the badge of honor for you and me is faithfulness. Do you know that? When we get there, this is what we hope to hear. Well done, good and famous. No. Good and favorite. No. Good and fabulously rich. Nope. Well done, good and faithful servant. Enter into the joy of the Lord. That's our hope. Paul is thankful for one man's faithfulness. Because of one man's faithfulness, this letter gets ri- written. This letter gets put into the Bible. This letter gets read and studied by billions of people because one dude wouldn't give up on 30 people. I love that. Be faithful. You have no idea how your faithfulness can transform eternity. Was that a boom? Did you hear that? Hmm. Hopefully it wasn't a child. (laughs) Mom, dad, be faithful to your kids. Grandpa, grandma, be faithful to what God has called you to. Worker, be faithful. Volunteer, be faithful. Husband, wife, be faithful. You have no idea what your faithfulness is going to do to all eternity. Paphrist didn't know this. He just stayed faithful to these people. And here's what I love. Paul is thankful for a person, and he expresses it and writes it out. I don't think we're thankful enough for what people do. I know I'm not, because we start getting weird with thanking people in the church, don't we? Where we're like, instead of being thankful for people, we're like, all glory to God, you know? When I first started teaching the Bible, I wrestled with this idea. Like, how do you do this? People say, hey man, that was a good message. How do I respond in a way that doesn't seem arrogant? So I'd say this, hey, all glory to God, Man, it's all the Lord. I said, it's all the Lord over and over and over again. You know what? I don't say that anymore. If someone tells me great message, I don't say it's all the Lord. You know why? I'm not good enough to say that. God's like, don't blame me for that message. That was not all me. There was plenty of you in that, man. Right? It's silly. We get in this like, oh, I think you can give all glory to God and be grateful for what people do. I'm so thankful for your volunteering today. I'm so thankful that you chose to be down with the kids. I'm so thankful that you're at these doors. I'm so thankful that you're parking people. I'm so thankful for my wife, all the stuff she does. I need to say it more. She takes care of me. I'm so glad I don't have to go shopping for clothes. I'm glad I don't look like I'm homeless. She does so many things. I need to be somebody that expresses thanks way more than I do. Paul is thankful for people. So there's a Wednesday night, maybe two months ago where James Dennis taught. And he said, when he and his wife first got married, almost as a joke, they would be overly thankful to each other, right? Sweetie, what time is it? 10.07. Oh, thanks. No, thanks for asking. No, thanks for thanking me for thanking me for asking. No, thank you for thanking, right? It became a joke. But he said, here's what has happened over the, now 15 years they've been married or however long it is. They said their kids had picked up And they have a culture inside their house that's full of gratitude. He said, it's just amazing. I thought, I need to do more of that. I need to be constantly looking for people to say, thank you. Thank you for partnering with our King, for bringing the kingdom down and what you're doing. Thank you.